Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. So uh, as you saw in our video here this morning, we are starting a brand new series together here at Corner, uh, walking through the book of Philippians called Joy. Now, I have been uh, really excited about this series now for a while, probably about the last six months. It's something God's been walking me through, and, and I've been really praying through, and I think it's something God wants to use among us together as we walk through this season together. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 today. Philippians chapter 1. We'll be looking through uh, verses 1 and 2 this morning. Now normally when we, uh, we go through a passage together, today's going to be a little bit different, is when we go through a passage, we do a deep dive on that passage and we walk through it, pull the truth from it. Um, but today what we're doing, is, since we're starting out, is we are taking like a 1,000 foot overview of what we're going to be talking about in this series. This is really an introduction to joy, if you will. And I'm really, really excited for us to go together. So look down with me in the text. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul's writing this letter to the church at Philippi, which is a city in Asia Minor. And he says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we want to say thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you for what we've been able to experience so far today, and through worship, through music, through worship, through communion, and now worship as we come to your word. And God, I want to just lift every single one of us up today, because maybe some of us in the room feel like joy has escaped us a little bit. Maybe some of us are just looking at what in the world is next. Father, we want to take this time to acknowledge that this is not our word, this is your word. It's not our promises, it's your promises. We want to lift our, ourselves, give ourselves up to you to do whatever you want to do with this morning. We thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. So over these next couple months, we're going to be walking through the book of Philippians talking about joy. Now as our intro video uh, talked about just a few uh, seconds ago, I think joy is one of those words that we don't really think about until we lose it. It's one of those words that when things are going well and things are going great, maybe in your job or things are going great in your family and relationships or your church or whatever the case you may be, we don't think about joy. We're just thankful it's there. But when all of a sudden things start to go south, when things disappear, when things get difficult, we really think about joy then, don't we? The truth of the matter is, if you have lived any kind of life for any length of time here on planet Earth, you know that we lose joy, don't we? Things go south. 
Maybe that thing that goes south is a relationship that you are really uh, relying on, that you really uh, cherish, but it went sour. Or maybe it was the culture where you work that maybe started out good, but then maybe the supervisor got really toxic, and all of a sudden it spread to all the culture of the workplace. Or maybe it was just workplace gossip that stole away the joy. Or maybe if you're a part of a church, and uh, you're part of a church, and the politics uh, seep in, and, and the people have agendas, and it tears apart the church. Maybe it's a pastor up front and he's teaching things that are totally, totally wrong. And as we get thrown into disarray, like, God, what are you doing right now? There are many different kinds of disappointments in our life that threaten to steal our satisfaction, to steal our contentment, steal our joy. And I don't know about you, but when my joy disappears, I desperately, desperately, desperately want it back. Anybody, I get amen there, right? We want it back. What often happens? We go looking for it, don't we? We go from relationship to relationship. We go from job to job, maybe even from church to church, and we're looking for that contentment. We're looking for that thing that's going to fix the whole of joy in our lives. It's going to fix us. And I think sometimes we even feel like we find it for a while. Maybe you move into that new church, and you're like, wow, this place is great, and you haven't found their hang-ups yet. Amen? We all know churches have hang-ups, right? We all have hang-ups. Or maybe you jump into that new workplace and you're like, this place is great. This is awesome. Everybody gets along. There's no drama. There's nothing here. My supervisor has my best interests at heart. Like all of those different things. Or maybe you've got a new relationship. You're like, this person is like made for me. There's no issues. We're going to have any fight. This is going to be awesome. Things go well for a while. But eventually what happens you get to know that person, and all of a sudden you figure out they have hang-ups, and you're like, what in the world did I marry? You get involved in that workplace, and you're getting involved in the culture, and all of a sudden you say, wait, these guys are kind of toxic. What in the world's going on? Or maybe you're involved in that church, and you're like, man, these guys have hang-ups too. And then all of a sudden what happens? We're right back where we started again. That joy that we were holding on to, that we were so excited that came back, it just starts seeping out. What happens again? Jump to go find joy. Again, the cycle starts all over. Because I think when we think about joy many times in our culture, we approach it like a consumer. We approach joy like a consumer. And what ends up happening typically for a lot of us, and myself included many times, is search for joy ends up being like this treadmill. Have you guys been on a treadmill before? You've been running before? You don't get very far when you go on a treadmill, right? You don't get very far. You might increase the incline. You might increase the speed. All those things, but you're not getting very far. Just get tired. And oftentimes, that's what happens when we look at joy, because often, I think, we think of joy primarily as an emotion. We think of joy primarily as an emotion. I think the first thing we have to talk about when we talk about joy is that we have to distinguish that joy is a very different thing from happy. Joy and happiness are two different things. Now, I love happiness. How many of you guys love happiness? I absolutely love happiness. Happiness is a great thing. But you want to know a fact about happiness? Happiness is going to come and go. It's temporary. 
Happiness is going to enter your life at some point in your life. You're going to be like, woohoo, this is great. And then all of a sudden, what happens the next day? It's not so happy anymore, right? It disappears. See, happiness is like pulling up to that Chick-fil-A drive-thru and they hand you that steaming bag of like hot chicken drizzled in the nectar of the gods known as uh, Chick-fil-A sauce, right? And we're like, man, this is great. You don't even make it home. You're like in the parking lot shoveling it in, right? You're so happy. It's awesome. But happiness also leaves on that last bite, right? Happiness also leaves when you realize I used a Chick-fil-A illustration on Sunday and you can't go after church for lunch. <laughs> I'm getting hungry now. But the point is, happiness is temporary. It comes and goes based on circumstances going on in our lives. But joy is different. Joy is different. See, joy is not primarily an emotion. It might be part of it, but it's not primarily emotion. See, joy is a mindset. Joy is a posture of your heart. Joy is an inward reality. See, as we jump into the scriptures here in Philippians, we're going to find that it's possible to feel happy and be joyful. And we love that one. That's great. But what scripture, especially the book of Philippians here, talks about is that you can also be joyful and sorrowful. See, joy can be present in the midst of struggle. Joy can be present in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of depression. Joy can be present in the midst of death. The joy is the embracing of a reality that cannot be taken away from you in Christ. Joy is grabbing hold of God's promises that stay true no matter how turbulent your lives feel in the moment. Joy says all your trials in your life have to pass through the desk of God first and that in the midst of those trials, he is changing you to be more like himself. You see, joy is resting in God's definition of good regardless of your emotional state in the moment. Joy is resting in God's definition of good. When we come to the book of Philippians, that's exactly what Paul is writing about. See, situations have been going on in Paul's life before we even get to chapter 1, verse 1, where I'm sure there's a temptation in Paul's life here to lose joy. See, Philippians is known as a prison epistle, a prison letter. And Paul's not on the outside of prison writing to someone inside of prison to encourage them. Paul's the one in prison. He's the one in jail. He's the one behind bars. Not because he was drunk driving, not because he uh, failed, to, failed to pay a ticket or, or rob a bank or anything like that. He is there because of his faith. He's there for doing the right thing. And what Paul is doing in this letter is he's writing everyone on the outside of jail to remind them of what joy actually looks like. Because here's the thing. Roman prisons aren't great places to be. Prisons never a great place to be. Roman prisons are not great. There's no workout gyms in, in the Roman prisons. There's no TVs. There's no classes to take. You can't get a, a associates in business by the time you work your way out of Roman prison, right? That's not what happens. See, in Roman prisons, in Paul's context here, you had two options. You were either chained 18 inches next to a Roman guard who was there to make sure you didn't run away, and you were, he was there for every activity of your day, or 
You were in some basement cell somewhere with rats nipping at your toes while you tried to sleep. Not a safe place. Not a joyful place. There's no sunshine. There's no rehabilitation. There's nothing about that. In fact, most scholars estimate it's at this point in Paul's life that Paul is either prison in Rome or in one of the prisons on his way to Rome. Which if you know church history at all, you know that Paul is on his way to die. See, after two years in a Roman prison, Paul is killed. This is the end of Paul's life. See, and I'm sure there's many days as Paul is in Roman prison here that he's playing back the photo album of his life and the decision trees that led him to this point of why in the world did I let this happen or why in the world did this happen to me? But what's interesting about Philippians, what's interesting about this text is despite all the stuff going on in Paul's life, by everything being stripped away from him, we do not find a sullen, defeated, demoralized, broken, joyless individual. In fact, what we find, we see across the pages of this text, is a man who, despite the world falling apart around him, he's not cynical. He hasn't lost his joy. In fact, in a couple weeks, in chapter, later in chapter 1, he goes so far to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says that both options are good here. I can live. That means God has more for me. God's going to do some more stuff through me. He has more assignments for me. Or I'm going to die and I'm going to go be with him. Either one is great. There's joy. See, Paul can say this because his joy is not found in the bending or ricocheting of his emotions or circumstances. His joy is based on who Christ says he is and who Christ's character is. See, Paul's saying the world may have rejected him, but Christ has welcomed him. The world may have condemned him, but Christ had forgiven him. The world may have broken and cut and thrown him to the ground, but Christ had healed and bound him. The world may even take away his life, but ultimately Christ is his life. See, Paul is writing this letter to remind the church of Philippi, to remind us where joy comes from. Paul, of all people, understands that we as human beings, we have a tendency to run the treadmill of life searching for joy. He understands that we have a way of, instead of finding joy in Christ, of trying to find joy in this world and running back to old things rather than finding it in him. What was interesting as I was uh, studying this week was that Paul is writing to a culture that's actually very, very, very similar to us. See, Philippi was a city like any other city. It was filled with people like you and me, of people trying to find joy and running back to some of their old habits to try and find it. What was really cool was, as I was uh, researching this city, there was four major religions in Philippi. Four major religions. There was other gods as well, but there was four big ones. And it was very interesting how eerily close to the, some of our vices as well. The first one is this. The God's name was Liberpater. Isn't that a fun name? That's kind of cool, right? Liberpater. He was the God of the grape harvest. 
What's interesting about that is um, how, how you worshipped Liberpater was they'd all get together in these giant, really lively parties, and it wasn't to enjoy each other's company or have a good time or anything like that. The point was to get so drunk you couldn't remember. It was to forget. Take all your problems that were going out here and just live in the moment, take up the experience, and leave all of that stuff behind. And worship Liberpater. Sounds similar to us sometimes, right? The second was a, a god by the name of Thracian Rider. That sounds like an 80s actor, right? Thracian Rider. And what's interesting about this god, he was, the, he was actually a demigod. He was half-god. But he was the native hunter. Not like hunters like our guys in November, but the hunter he is talking about here is about more about survival, self-improvement. The Liberpater was always trying to prove himself to all the other gods that he was worthy. So when you worshiped Liberpater, what you were doing is you were trying to pick, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to fix me. I'm going to fix all of this. Pull yourself up. Third one is a god by the name of Bendis. She was the goddess of the hunt and the goddess of fertility. But what's interesting about this religion is that it was highly, highly sexual. It was uh, uh, often conducted in orgies. It was conducted in uh, sex trafficking, exploitation, all of those kinds of things. And the point was to escape from reality through sexuality. When you look at these religions, oh, and then you had fourth. the fourth one was the emperor cult. The emperor cult, if you know anything about Roman history, is that the Romans believed Caesar was God, that Caesar was the one that was going to protect him. Caesar was the one that was going to keep them safe. Caesar was the one that was going to provide for them. Caesar was the one that was going to protect the homeland. Caesar was the one that was going to provide everything they need for life. And they worshipped him for it. When you look at all four of these gods, as I am looking at this and I'm studying this, how often do we do that? All of those things. How often do we, as a culture, run to sexuality to fulfill our desires or to find joy? Or how often do we, as a culture, just try to escape reality and, and, and drunkenness to avoid the pain that's going on? It might not even be alcohol. It might be video games. Sinking 12 hours a day into a video game just to forget what's going on in my life. Maybe it's trusting another person to fix you. We run to these same things. And that's what Paul is getting at. He's saying some of you may try to put all your purpose into trying to find your purpose so that you may find joy or all your effort into your work or your passion or whatever the case may be. But he says, wake up. Because Philippians, joy is right in front of you. What Paul is saying in this letter is he's saying, I'm in prison. My life has fallen apart. I'm probably even going to die here, but they have not taken my joy. They've taken my freedom. They've taken my possessions. They've taken my free will. They've taken all the things I've enjoyed about my life, but they cannot have Jesus. They can't Take away my joy. You see, Paul's joy was rooted not in circumstances. His joy was rooted in a steady reality, and we see it repeated over and over and over again in the intro of Philippians 1 where we started. It says this, 
Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you notice this letter, the introduction, Christ's name is repeated three different times. There's the servants of Christ. There's written to the saints in Christ and grace and peace from God our Father in Christ. Even at the very beginning of this letter, Paul is showing the center of this book that joy from Christ. He's saying joy only happens when Christ is at the center. He says you can try everything else. You can run the, thre- the treadmill of life, but you will never find it that way. He says you will not find joy in your marriage unless Christ is at the center of it. You won't find joy in your career unless Christ is at the center of it. You won't find joy in your hobbies or your joy in your trials unless Christ is at the center. In fact, there's a passage in chapter 3, it's probably the most famous passage, or one of the most famous passages in Philippians, that chapter 3 says, I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. That verse is not talking about getting a home run or winning a, the winning touchdown football game. That verse is about handling life. That verse is about handling life in the good times and in the bad times. And it's Christ. I like to wake up early. Any early people in here? Any morning people? I'm a morning person. I love waking up early. Uh, lately, I've been getting up around 5.30 or so, and what I like to do is I get up, I brush my teeth, I make my coffee, and my dog follows me out. If you're new here, I have a dog. Her name is Nala. She's a 60-pound pit bull lab mix. She's a lot of fun. But she comes out with me, and I'll sit down on my living room couch as I do my devotions in the morning, and uh, Nala will come right up and just lay right next to me and just snore so loud. It's awful. She just lay there for like two hours. What was interesting is I'm sitting there at 5.30 in the morning. The sun's not up yet, right? Sun's not up. It's dark outside. It's still nighttime. I have a big picture window in front uh, where I sit next to on my couch, and uh, it looks right into the woods where we live, and you, it's all dark, because you can see these faint outlines of trees. But I've noticed as the time progresses in the morning, right, the sun comes up. Sun comes up. And sometimes it feels like that sun comes up singing, right? It's bright, everything's like super happy, there's birds flying by, everything looks awesome, and you look at it and you're like, man, today is going to be an awesome day. I can't wait to go for this day, maybe even take a picture of it, of the sunrise, and you're like, man, the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. How many of you have heard that verse before? The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Maybe your grandma had it cross-stitched on a pillow somewhere. I think mine did. We love that verse, don't we? We love that passage in the good times. We love that passage on sunny mornings when you can almost feel it. That God's mercies are new. I can approach this day with strength. But it's hard to say that verse on the bad days, isn't it? Hard to say that verse when it feels like everything's gross. Earlier this week on Tuesday, I was doing through my morning ritual and the sun started coming up just like it does every day. But when the sun came up and it became light outside, it was still gray. There was no sunshine. It was during that like second winter thing we got earlier this week. It was rainy. It was windy. There's no birds singing outside. It's gross. 
And I remember looking out that window this, that morning, and that thought came through my head of, David says, mercies are still new every morning, even this morning. How often is that hard to believe for us? That when life gets gray and you wake up and the struggle is still going on, that it's hard to believe his mercies are new this morning too. I feel like he messed up. We feel like that great that that mercy meter is still running really low. Like I have to ration this thing out. Sometimes it's hard to believe those mercies are new. You know what's interesting about that verse? His mercies are new every morning. Do you know a situation that was penned in? That was written? What book of the Bible that was written in? Lamentations. Lamentations in the Old Testament about 650 years or so before uh, Paul's writing this book in Philippians in a Roman cell. You know where Lamentations takes place? In Jerusalem. Right after the Babylonians have come in and just absolutely destroyed the city. There's bodies in the streets. There's buildings that are collapsed. That Everything fell apart. If you look at those first two uh, chapters of Lamentations, you see this writer by the name of Jeremiah who is writing about all this horrific stuff that he's seeing. And he's like, why would a good God allow this? Why would a good God let all of this awful stuff happen? You see that over and over and over again through the first two chapters. But then chapter 3 comes around. Verse 1 starts like this. It says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones and he has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. We see this guy's gone through it. This is not a flat tire on the way to work kind of problem. This is awful. Desolation. But then this happens. Continues. Verse 21. But this I call to mind. He said, I've talked about all the bad stuff, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. In this text here, we see Jeremiah finds joy, not in his circumstances. Circumstances were awful. Death was everywhere. But he found joy in God's character because despite all of his surroundings have changed, God's character hadn't changed. And rather than basing his emotions and his joy on the stuff going on around him, he chose to place his joy in God because he knew that God was going to bring redemption even out of this. This wasn't the end. There was a new morning coming. He was able to approach with joy. See, joy 
is resting in God's definition of good. The book of Hebrews talks about this too in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. This text tells us Jesus embraced the cross because of joy. Like, what? Joy. And we look at that text here, the joy wasn't from the cross. If you, how many of you guys have seen the Passion before, or videos of Jesus being crucified, right? You've seen those, you've seen the nails go in, you've seen him be whipped, you've seen the crown of thorns get placed on his head as he is paraded for everybody to see on the cross. The joy wasn't there. The joy wasn't in the situation. In fact, Jesus in the garden said, God, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this, but not my will. Your will be done. Because when Jesus looked down the road, he saw thousands of generations of people placing their faith and hope in him. Billions of souls reconciling themselves back to God and walking, experiencing life. And Jesus was able to have joy because he rested in his Father's definition of good. And that's what we find in Philippians. Paul was able to go through prison, not because it was great. Prison was awful. But he's able to see how God was using it. He was able to rest in God's definition of good. So my prayer for us as we study this book together that when it comes to the gray days of our lives, the difficult times, that we're able to find joy in God's definition of good too. If there's anything about joy that I've learned over the years is that it's important for us to pursue it together. It's a community. We, we seek God together. And one of the ways that we talked about doing that over the past couple months is through these journals right here. This right here is a book of Philippians. If you open it up, you can see on the one side you got the text of Scripture, and on the other side is a page open for notes. You can, write, you can underline stuff, you can write stuff down, and that goes all the way through the book of Philippians. Um, and then you have a bunch of pages of notes at the end that you can just write in if you want. And uh, I really love the Anytime we go through a new series and I'm studying a new book, I always get one of these and write all my notes down in it. And it's like, it's like a word vomit place for me. Some things make it in sermons. Some things never see the light of day. It's probably a good thing. But they're really, really helpful things. So we have in the back uh, a journal for everybody. So, um, and the goal with this is you take this home. Start reading the book of Philippians. Start uh, writing stuff down that stands out to you. Start writing stuff down that's like, man, this is really hard to believe this is true. God, how do I even believe this? Write your doubts. Write your concerns. And walk through this text. It's a beautiful, beautiful text. I think you can read the whole book of Philippians in 20 minutes if you sit down. It's an amazing, amazing book. Our small groups are going to be walking through Philippians together. So if you're in small groups, take this with you, a small group, and you can uh, share your notes. You can do all those kind of things. But we're walking through this together. We're going to be walking through joy together.
Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.